Healthcare and senior care is fraught with problems and challenges, but we're also seeing some amazing new clinical treatments and resources. This show will help illuminate and uncover the good, bad, and the ugly in order to equip patients, families, and other healthcare providers. Welcome to Senior Care Confidential. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Senior Care Confidential. I'm joined again with my co-host, uh, nurse extraordinaire, Joe Alch. Hello there. I'm glad to be here today. Yeah, and today, because we see this so often, um, today we're going to be talking about falls. Um, it is becoming one of the leading causes of death and um, loss of function for many seniors. And so there were some shocking statistics that we've uncovered. Um, and I teach a class and several of the senior living communities around here. And um, the class is, a, it's a seven-week class. And so it's a it's structured in in part of like the first part is like educational part. And then the, the last part of it is more of a balanced kind of exercise piece. And so as we're going through these things, there's just a lot of really inf interesting information as, and I'm teaching these seniors that they just had no idea that when we think traditionally in falls, we think of, you know, loss of balance or it's a strength issues, right? We usually will just send PT, get them stronger, get them more balanced and they'll be fine. And in reality, there's so many things that go into this. And so that's kind of the point of our talk today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there are just some statistics are kind of crazy. Um, uh, one of five falls uh, causes a serious injury, such as a broken bone or head injury. Each year, 3 million older people are treated in the ER departments for fall injuries. 3 million people. Mm -hmm. um, over 800,000 patients a year are hospitalized because of a fall injury, most often because of a head injury or hip fracture. Each year... At least 300,000 older adults are, are hospitalized for hip fractures. And as a registered nurse working in home care, that's what I see the most is that dreaded no one plans to fall. Yep. Nobody wants to fall and break a hip. Yep, that's right. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about um, falls are serious and they're yep. costly. Yes. So, so how do you start your education? Um, usually with a few jokes, I really, what it is, is it comes down to, we are living in bodies that are older, notwithstanding biblical times. These are older <laughs> bodies that we've been used to in like the last few centuries. Right. And so if you look back at like, you know, 200 years ago in the 18, 1820s, I do my math. Um, the average life expectancy was like 38. Now there's some other things that go into that. You know, there's nutritional aspects and there's wars. I get all that kind of stuff. But the average life expectancy was 38. And then you get to 1920s and the average life expectancy was 54. And now we're roughly 80, you know, plus or minus a couple of years. And so we are dealing with a lot more chronic issues now and older more declined bodies like functionally than we had before. And so some of this is just kind of a, it's not really new, but within the last few decades, it's kind of a new world for us to be living in with bodies that are, you know, that have declined to some degree. And so there's a lot of risk factors that go into these things. And one of the things that I don't, I'm a realist and I don't think you can prevent a hundred percent of falls, but I, my, my caution with anybody who thinks that falling is part of like the normal, normal aging process. I, I cringe every time I hear that because I know how the human brain works to some degree. And once you tell your brain falls are our normal, natural part of, of aging, then you shut off to any creative solutions to prevent future ones. So mm -hmm. if we just 
we all agree the falls are going to happen, but there's there's plenty of ways that we know now to prevent them, and you're not going to prevent them in all cases, uh, but there's a lot of factors that go into those. And so as part of this class that I teach, like every week is a structure thing, and there's there's different topics. And so one of the one of the key things why I think a lot of people come to the class is because they do want to get stronger, and they do want to work on balance and those kind of things. And so we do focus on those, and there's been some interesting studies. I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I bring it up just in case for, for new audience members. They did a study on um, two groups of 65-year-olds, and in one group, um, they led them through like a five-month um, resistance training exercise class, and then the other group, they essentially put them in bed for 10 days. And what they found was the exercise group in five months gained roughly two and a half pounds of muscle mass. Conversely, the other group that laid in bed for 10 days, they lost almost the equivalent amount. And so you lose wow. it so much faster when we're older um, versus, you know, when you're younger. In fact, there's there's some surgeries they'll do, like some cartilage replacements, things that they'll do, like in, if you're in your 30s, if you're in your 20s. But once you get in your 30s, because of how long you're not weight bearing, they won't even attempt it because you just lose it so much faster. And so there is kind of still that lose it or use it or lose it principle with older bodies. And so I'm encouraged when I see a bunch of these seniors, because it's usually a couple dozen, a few dozen that come in, um, I'm encouraged that they want to stay active, that they want to do those things. And so we, we guide them through some specific exercises. There's a program we teach them through, um, but that's only like a small piece of it. And I always tell them like, listen, these first couple of weeks when we're talking about the exercise, this is great. And, and these should be lifelong um, exercises that you maintain because it's going to help you be more resilient um, and, and, and move around easier with, with, with less risk of falls. But there's also all these other things that we have to get into. And so one of those things is actually how the home environment is set up. You know, and you and I know because mm-hmm. we've both been in home care, you private duty and, mm-hmm. and now care management and me in home health. There's a lot of homes that look nothing like the rehab hospital. <laughs> That's right. Or the hospital. Or they come. look like the hoarding show. Yeah, yes, right? Yes. Or they or they were built in like the 1950s right. when I, I guess people were midgets and they were this, this they were <laughs> yeah. this wide. They and they had, had to, 10 they, levels right. to the home. Yes, exactly right. And so you have the multi-level living rooms and all these kind of things. And so all of those things, it's not like the one risk factor. It's not like hey, I have a narrow doorway to get into the bathroom. That's the issue. It's the compounding effect of I have that, plus I have throw rugs, plus I've got a sunken living room, plus I've got an, a cat that runs around my feet or mm-hmm. you know any host of other things that we look at, things like the the your favorite chair, if it moves, like if it's a rocker recliner um, swivel chair and that's the chair you're having to get up in and out and you're in your 80s and it's getting tougher, like a non-stationary chair is hard to get in and out of. So there's a whole list of things that we go through to look at, you know, uh, even adaptive equipment in bathrooms and, um, you know, in the toilet areas and around the shower, like those things are really important because it gives you some some, some security because a lot of falls happen in the wet areas, you know, bathrooms and showers. So we kind of go through some of the the environmental hazards. And then I think one of the things that they're, that they're surprised at is on the, on the medical condition side and the medications. So for example, did you know that there are two medications that show a 50% increase in fall risks and they are antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications? Wow. Yeah. Which, you know, especially now post COVID there were, I think we're seeing a lot more of those, um, prescriptions mm-hmm. um, given out. I, I know there's psychiatrists that they cannot keep up with the demand. And yeah. most of them, you know, I've tried to find home psychiatrists or PAs that would go to clients' homes and I they, you can't find them. I yeah. mean, since COVID, they're all online, they're all Zoom and they cannot keep up with the demand of people that need 
those types of medications. Yeah. And I'm not here to, to, to um, criticize no, those medications at all. There's certainly, not. there's certainly a use case for those for sure. Um, but the, the, the data seems to be indicating that there's a pretty high chance of falling um, if you're on those kind of medications. And it's probably because it's numbing the, the nervous system. Mm-hmm. The, the, the it's like having system. a glass of wine for, for the anti-anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. And you know. the other thing we run into too is the insomniacs, you know, mm-hmm. the people who have a, a much more difficulty time falling asleep. And so they're groggy. Um, so they take, you know, the trazodones or whatever. Um, and they wake up, you know, for some of them, they're waking up in the middle of the night having to go potty, you know, and they're still kind of groggy from the medication and not sleeping very well. So we see a lot of like medicational type issues too. Um, and we even get into, you know, how to manage chronic illnesses in the class. Cause you know, depending on what you're, what you're dealing with, even congestive heart failure or diabetes, you know, the loss of sensation with your feet, all these things can contribute to lack of awareness, um, and lack of strength or endurance in, in moving around your home. Well, you know, you talk about these homes that are just weirdly set up. Yeah. So I have a patient right now that falls a lot. He is very depressed and has been on depression medication, um, and he has fallen a lot. So what we've done, he has a walker in every room. <laughs> he oh, has no. a, because it's too hard to get from room A, even in the kitchen, to the living room, to the bedroom, to the bathroom. So we have a walker in each little station and he'll stop with a walker in one room. You don't have to have one. <laughs> you can have plenty of them. We've, we've done that in, in but, homes with narrow doorways. Yes, yeah. but it has alleviated the falls. He has not been falling since we came up. We were just trying to figure out how do we do it. So um, that's one thing with home health. We're yeah. in the home and we see it. Yeah. So, so the doctors that are prescribing don't evaluate no the idea. home. They have yeah. no idea. Another thing, too, is... With stairs, there are chairs that you can get that you can ride up the chair upstairs. Yes. So it's like the old Gremlin movie. Yeah, it is. <laughs> deagle, deagle. They're a little crazy, a <laughs> little yeah. pricey. Yeah, but it does work. So anyway, go on. Yeah. I was just thinking about my sweet. Yeah, no, guy. we see we see a lot of those scenarios, and, and every home is is a little bit different, and that's why it really is when you look at patient or senior safety risk factors, we we categorize them in, in three main categories. We have one, the patient themselves, like what kind of medical diagnoses are they dealing with that may be contributing to any kind of a functional loss or whatever. Uh, number two would be the actual home environment itself. Like what does it look like? What what are the things that we're seeing or do, narrow, narrow doorways, those kind of things, um, you know, throw rugs, cords across the, the floor. You know, we've, we've got about 70 different things that we look at. And then number three is their interaction within the environment. So really with the cross section of those three things is really what we're looking at. So when we first assess a patient, we're really looking, we're having them walk through the entire home and do certain things. So we can kind of see, kind of get a picture in our mind of where are the risk factors for this particular individual and every, every environment's different. Every situation's mm-hmm. different. The caregiver um, stuff is different, even so much as they the um, equipments that they're using. So sometimes, you know, we get these um, comments. I, in fact, I just got asked again yesterday about the stand-up walkers. Have you seen these? Like the upright walkers? I have a patient that I, I was just about to say the stand-up yeah. walker. They are fantastic. Yeah. He loves it. So I just got asked another one. And I'll say, I've never recommended it. And it's not that I don't, it's not that I don't like does, it. This guy yeah. does great. I mean, he- yeah, it, it depends on the individual client. So, <laughs> so a lot of times if you think they've done a really fantastic job marketing, I'm a little jealous because um, they've done a good job with that because everyone wants the upright walker. Right? Yes. I want to be able to stand up nice and tall and look young and vibrant yes. and those things. The challenge I run into with it is 
um, there's a, a medical condition that most of us will deal with as we get older called lumbar stenosis. And without getting into the weeds of that, a lot of people's doctors will, will say, you know, it's kind of like, it's just arthritis of your back, right. which is not technically correct, but it's, you know, it's, it gives somebody at least a, a baseline understanding of, okay, there's, it's just wear and tear on my back, but it's, it's a little bit more, it's a little more involved than that. And so essentially what happens is because of the way that the structures are designed in your back, even a slight like bend forward can alleviate enough pressure on somebody's back where they can actually move around their home. And so for people who have lumbar stenosis, if I get them way up here, right. then I actually cause more of a deep ache in the back and they're, le and they're less functional. And so uh, we have had a couple patients with the upright walkers. They swear by them. I just, you know, smile and go, okay, I'm glad it works for you. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like choosing the right device. And sometimes that's hard because you'll have some people, especially like in uh, the, the senior living environments, Everyone wants to drive the Corvette. And so they all want the flashy, you know, know four-wheel walker, one, the, the pretty one with uh -huh. the brakes and the and the, the seat and all that uh -huh. kind of stuff. Right. And, you know, and they don't want to use the the foldable one because right. it looks the more medical. One, right. Yeah. The silver. And so the challenge with those is if you're someone who's a higher fall risk, more often than not, this is not always the case, but more often than not, you're better off with the foldable one because it's inherently more stable. Those four-wheel walkers, you know, they got the caster wheels in the front and those mm -hmm. kind of things. Um, but everyone opts for that because for a couple of reasons. One, it looks flashier and it looks like you're and not they as feel handicapped. Old. That's right. Th that's what they tell me. And it's utilitarian, right? Because it's got the basket. Because what ends up happening is if you get somebody like a, a normal standard walker and they're having to walk around their home and they want to go to the kitchen to get whatever, a cup of coffee or a plate of cookies, um, they have a couple options with a standard walker, like the two was in the front, like skis. By the way, we recommend skis in the back. Um, they can either leave the walker and walk in the kitchen and go get it because the walker requires two hands, or they can um, counter surf. They, say, they leave the walker and counter surf with it, or they'll take the walker in and they'll hold the walker with one hand and then hold the plate with the other hand and then rest the arm on the walker and push it that way. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times if you can just solve the utilitarian part and just get them a basket or a tray, mm -hmm. that kind of solves that piece of it. Mm -hmm. But even like the devices that we see, um, I can't tell you how many times we see the wrong wheelchair, the wrong walker, the wrong setup, or the brakes don't work on the, on the walkers or wheelchairs. And let's talk about canes. Because canes, uh -huh. I was trained even in nursing school, canes are a false sense of security. So they what are be. your thoughts on canes? Um, I like them for the right client, for the right patient. Um, if you are someone who just needs a little added security, then it's fine. Um, if you're someone who is generally mobile and may have some mild discomfort like in a hip or a knee, and you just need something to just just give you a little extra, then I think it's fine. If you're someone who has a history of falls, they're probably the wrong device. And the other thing with that is, you know, there's two types of canes. You, you've got the single point canes, mm -hmm. and then you've got those, uh, the quad canes. They look right. like a tabletop, right? right? Um, do you know why they choose, a lot of people choose the tabletop one, looking one? So if you pull, and I, I ask this in every class I teach, I said, why do, pe why do you think people choose the, the, the four prong um, cane over the single point one? And invariably, they all get it right. Uh, they'll say, because it stands up. Yeah, it seems like it would be safer. <laughs> no, it just stands up. They just don't want to... <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. They don't want to have to find a place to hang it or lay it on the ground. So it, it stands up. So now there's a there's kind of a hybrid model where it's uh, it's almost like a foot. Like some of them have like three things on there, um, but it's small. It's a small footprint and it's got like a real uh, heavy hinge on it. So it actually mimics 
like a standard walker or standard walker, a standard cane. The problem with those four, the four prong walkers, the quad, we call it the quad canes, um, is that it forces you to walk differently. So in order for that thing to function mm. the way it's supposed to be, you have to have all four, um, feet, if you will, on the floor at the same time. And so it's almost like a wedding march. So, uh, cane, step, step, cane, step, step, and no one wants to walk that slow. And so a lot of people you'll see with those quad canes, they'll be walking like they would walk with a normal one. And that thing's just doing this, like they've lost yeah. the, the benefit of having something with, with more stability they've lost because of how they're walking with it. So it's really rare that I recommend the quad cane just because it's either in my world, it's either the cane or it's a walker. Um, and going back to some of the walkers, like sometimes, even though they're a higher fall risk with the four wheel walker, like we were talking before, cause it's got the caster wheels. So it's a little more squirrely for some people. So that from a from a stability standpoint, the foldable walker, the one you see in the hospitals, those might be better better options for them. But with certain people, like I have people who have um, Parkinson's, and there's a difficulty in just getting their walking pattern started. Mm -hmm. And so if there's something where if we lean them a little a slightly ahead, uh, slightly forward and get the walker actually moving, it triggers something in the brain where the feet start moving. And so for them, a walker that doesn't kind of move easily actually becomes an impediment to walking. So it's not always a hard and fast rule of, hey, if you're if this is a stability issue, use this. Or if it's, a, if it's an endurance issue and I need a chair, use this. Sometimes, depending on what the needs of the patient are, you know, we're, we're modifying those things as well. Okay. So I have another question. So yeah. I get this a lot too. Um, a lot of my clients really need a hospital bed, but they don't want a hospital bed. They want to be in their own bed and they want a rail. Yep. They want a, and you can get them at Amazon. Mm -hmm. They're those portable rails. Yep. I have not found that they work. Um, what are you finding? I find that they're not safe. I find that they're they, not stable. They're like not they're, they're stable. too easily moved. They're too easily moved. Okay. They don't, yeah, they don't stay where they're supposed to stay and my patients fall down. <laughs> so I think with the hospital bed, there's just a, a better sense of security. Okay. Um, what are your thoughts? Um, I think it depends on the bed cane that they use. So I will, we'll, so let's, we'll, we'll do two different definitions. There's a bed cane, which is a smaller device about yay. Sometimes it comes up as like a pole and then it kind of shoots out like this. And other times they're a little bit longer or wider, more of a rectangular position or shape. Um, in those cases that we're going to call that a bed cane. And then you have the bed rail which is going to go. Either. And I've never heard of a bed cane. Yeah. I'm a nurse and I've never heard of a bed well, cane. Well, that's why I say we're going to, we're going to define it for our, for our purposes <laughs> here. In fact, if you look on Amazon, some of them will actually be called bed canes because they kind of mimic a cane. Um, but they're narrower in size versus like a bed rail. You usually think of a bed rail as something that's going to keep somebody in the bed. And in some facilities, they like communities, they won't allow them because it's, it's seen as a restraint. So when we talk about recommendations for a, um, bed rail, we're talking about a bed cane because we're using it for some sort of a functional reason, getting so in and out of bed. those, would they qualify as okay in a Depends. assisted yeah, living? Yeah, absolutely. We use okay. them all the time. Yeah. Oh, that's and great. so because that's it, because it's blocking, um, only, it's not even blocking their access to the bed, it's only this wide. Okay, so it's just good. there as a, as a handle, right? No more than like a an armrest on a couch would be considered a restraint. Right. It's just there for something to pull up on. So it depends on the style that you get. The ones that I like to use, and it depends on the 
um, when you have adjustable beds, it changes a little bit. But if it's just a flat bed, the ones I like look like a T. So this piece here goes, goes underneath the mattress, between the mattress and the box spring. And then this piece here sits on the floor. And then you have the handle kind of here. Well, that's great. Yeah, so it looks that's like a T. The other ones um, that are in, by the way, this piece here, you wrap around. There's usually a nylon strap that wraps around the box spring. So it keeps it wow, from moving. Because part of it is if, like I have a really heavy mattress, um, I'm a big guy, so I have a big mattress and it's heavy. But for some people, like their mattress is like this thin. And the second they go to pull up on that thing, that thing's trying to mm -hmm. pick up the mattress behind them. So you want ones that are, that are going to strap down. So I always recommend those. Another option for people who have, in some cases, the one I just described actually works well for the adjustable beds. But in some cases, it doesn't because of how the furniture layout is. And so there's another version that doesn't have, remember the T, it doesn't have this bottom portion. It's just like an L. So there's nothing that touches the floor, which makes it a little bit less stable, right? Because if there's nothing on the floor, it's it's, it's going to move a little more with the mattress. But this piece is usually a little bit longer into the mattress. And so you can strap that, that one down too, and those work pretty well. So I like those. And I just had this conversation with somebody else about this yesterday. What, what do they recommend on those? And that was what, that's what we decided. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, because I, I do get worried. You know, when, when a bed is flat, just trying to get out of bed if you're a little overweight yeah. or well, just lung issues or and cardiac. And to your point, a, a, we see a lot of the – we see. We hear a lot about um, falls at nighttime and falls out of bed. And some of them are um, – legit, like they just don't have the strength to get out of bed. Um, or some of it is actually that the bed's the wrong, the wrong style. So um, one of the ones that we want to be careful of is anything that's too high. So <laughs> I love the little old ladies who have their, their princess beds that they have to climb up on the stairs with because they're adorable when they do that. The problem is they don't fit on those. Right. And at some point, these they're become- They're so pretty though. I know, they are. They're nice four-poster beds and they've got, <laughs> oh no, I got a little stool that I step on. I'm like, oh my God. So- those we actually want to drop down if we can. Um, and so you want to get them to where when their bottom is sitting on the edge of the mattress, their feet can be flat on the floor. And one of the challenges is most of the beds are too high, especially for females. For guys, we're just built bigger. But especially for females, the thing we run into is the beds are too high. Mm -hmm. And so when they get their feet out of the bed, that side of the mattress becomes like a slide. Um, combine that with the, um, I'll avoid using um, name brands, but a foam mattress mm -hmm. that does not have a reinforced sidewall. Like inner spring mattresses have a sidewall around them. And so it prevents that side from, from collapsing so much. With the foam beds or latex beds, you don't have that. It just collapses. Um, and so now you have really a built-in slide. And so sometimes the fix is to do what we did, what we said, like lower the bed, Sometimes it's lowering the bed in addition to adding a rail. And sometimes for some people, because they're just, when your brain's, when you're trying to get your brain to figure out how to stand up, what your brain's thinking is push the knees so that I stand up tall, right? But when your brain is also concerned that you are a fall risk, it naturally wants to kind of push you back in the bed. And so sometimes your feet don't actually push you up. Your feet actually push forward on the floor. Wow. And so you'll see people slip and fall that way too, trying to get out of bed. And so in some cases, we'll actually put some non-skid tape there, or we'll put like a, a very low profile, like rubber back, rubber backed mat there. So they have some little bit, of, a little bit of traction. So the bed stuff, there's a lot of variables that go into bed safety. Mm -hmm. um, those are just kind of a few of them all. And if you solve all those other issues, let's say the bed's amazing. It's the right height. It's, it's the right width. It's the right, you know, um, density on the side. 
and we've got the, the perfect bed cane and they're still having falls. Sometimes it's just a, there's an impulsive nature to that particular patient or client and maybe something like a bed, a bed alarm, you know, for some people with um, cognitive decline, that irritating alarm is enough for them to roll back over and get back on the, get back on the pad. For others, it's, it's, it's just to alert a caregiver so they can come see them. But mm -hmm. every, there's so many different scenarios, even with something as simple as a bed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like those alarms. I think those are good for yeah. when you're concerned about falling. Yeah. They make them for chairs too. And so mm -hmm. we, we will utilize those. Usually it's, so here's another, here's another thing too. As therapists, we're usually taught to maximize somebody's independence. And what I would say is our job is to maximize somebody's safe independence. And there are times where we will be asked by family members to work with an individual client who doesn't, over time we'll figure this out, but doesn't display enough impulse control to where if we actually get them stronger, they actually become a higher fall risk. Um, and this is sometimes wow. a challenging conversation to have with family members. It's like, listen, there's trade-offs in this world and we can make them stronger and we can get them where they move around with you easier and all that's wonderful. And if that's what you want, we can certainly work on that. But be aware that his or her mental state right now doesn't understand that every time they, to, they try to stand up, they're at a fall risk. And so they're not going to be calling you for help. And that becomes an issue. And so we have, we have to kind of have those conversations with them too. So we got to be careful on making them too strong and too mobile because if we can't get their, if we can't match the balance to that, then we've actually increased their risk of falls. My grandmother would fall. She was black and blue when we moved her out of her home. And she wouldn't tell us though, because she knew if she told us, we'd be like, grandmother, what are you doing? You know, oh, and yeah. she was fiercely independent. Um, you know, and I know it hurt her. She never yeah. broke anything, but it was, she looked terrible. Well, you think the last thing they ever, they ever want to admit to is that, right? Cause that's a, that is a very visible sign that I'm declining and no Absolutely. one wants to feel it. They, it's, know. you know, it's like masking dementia. Nobody I wants know. to have to admit that I'm, that I'm seeing some changes now. So we see that a lot. And so we actually define when I, when we talk to new patients, we tell them this all the time, like, okay, how many falls have you had like in the last two months or the last year? And, um, and I say, before you answer that, our definition of a fall is any unwanted change in elevation. Like, in other words, if the wall hadn't been there, you'd have been on the floor. If the, if the chair hadn't been there when you pushed up, you'd have been on the floor. If wow. your spouse hadn't been there when you lost your balance, you'd have been on the floor. And all of a sudden that number is way, way higher. And that's really the true, cause all we're trying to do is we're not trying to beat them down and try to, you know, oh my gosh, like we're just trying to figure out what's the true risk here in terms of. Um, what your balance really looks like. And so that gives us a, a, an indication of what kind of things we need to be working on. Cause if there's a large number of those, um, we have some other issues we probably need to be addressing. And some of those, honestly, I'll tell you one of the number one things I see is, um, is in, um, is with dizziness. So, and I, I, when I do this class, I educate the, um, seniors and, um, I try to avoid, you know me, I can go into the details too much, but I try to avoid getting too much in details, but there's really two classifications of dizziness. There's the common, like, I feel lightheaded mm -hmm. type thing. Like, you, know, you haven't eaten or your blood pressure is too low or whatever. That's one side of dizziness. The other side is more like a vertigo. And that's right. like defined, like if you've been on a merry-go-round and you step off, your eyes are still kind of spinning. It's because your inner ear is still being convinced that you're moving. And those, mm -hmm. when there are sometimes we get orders from doctors to treat vertigo. And it's not vertigo. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and so, you know, it's really important to make sure you get with a therapist. You know, it's okay. If we get the orders, we'll, we'll figure out what's going on with it. But um, it's important to get with a therapist who can differentially diagnose between those two things because the treatment strategy for those is very, very different. And so one of the more common ones that we see very regularly in our world is uh, what we call orthostatic hypotension. Mm -hmm. And it's just a fancy word. You know this. But yeah, for the audience, absolutely. it's a word that describes as we get older, our body's ability to um, self, it's not really self-monitor, but self-regulate the blood pressure becomes slower. So the mm -hmm. reaction time is slower. So when you go from lying down to sitting or sitting to standing, there's a sudden drop in blood pressure. And some people are more affected by that than others. And when we have some of these people who are already starting off with low blood pressures, and then they drop another 30, 20 or 30 points, it's scary. That's causing falls. And we mm -hmm. see this all the time. In fact, I check for this on almost every one of my patients too. because we see, we've been seeing it so often. Um, some of it's, I think some of it is a, it's a hydration issue, which we don't even get into. Um, like in my class, I do a little bit, but I'll tell you that you know this as a nurse, but for the audience, like one of the number one things we see uh, people in hospitals for, and in addition to falls is, um, UTIs and dehydration. I know all the time. And it's crazy. And so when you start to, when you start to educate seniors on it, you're like, okay, so what happens with our bladder when, as we get older? Of course, you know, everyone's getting up to go to the bathroom a few times a night, you know, so they stop drinking water. Well, what happens when you stop drinking water? Well, then you get dehydrated. What happens when you dehydrate? Well, you're not flushing your, your urinary tract anymore. And so you develop these infections. Also, if you're not remaining hydrated, your blood pressure drops. Mm -hmm. so there's all these things just by not staying hydrated. Um, so we put a lot of our patients on hydration schedules. That's great. Um, because um, it just it, it it's becoming a big culprit in falls. Mm -hmm. So that's why I say, like, we started this conversation about safety risks and, and falls. And a lot of times the treatment strategy for falls is get them stronger and get them more balanced. Well, there's all these other things that go into that that we need to be looking for as well. But you know, Brian, many home healths do not do the detailed care plan that you do at Nexus. And so share with the audience, how do we get in touch with Nexus Home Health? <laughs> Thank you. Um, so you can just email me at, at brian at nexus, N-E-X-U-S dot, or nexushomehealthcare.com. Um, but yeah, so we we actually, um, I own the intellectual property for it. We, we developed a um, some clinical models and some scoring tools that allow, allow us to risk, we'll use the word risk stratify. Essentially all it is, is we know what benchmarks are. We, 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 we look at those scores that we have on an individual patient. We can tell which ones are at higher risk for falls, for um, hospitalizations and those kind of things. And then we build our care plans around those specific risk profiles. Um, and that's what we end up doing. So um, since you asked, I'll share. <laughs> so we, we, we have this data analytics company that we pay for and they, they cover, they, they look at a lot of Medicare expenditures. And one of the ones that um, we've never had access to before was one that determines how effective we are long-term, which is a big thing for us, right? So, you know, you we've talked at length before about wanting to be proactive and preventive. That's why we do classes like this mm -hmm. or a podcast like this. That's why we teach classes is because we want we want people to be educated so they can help become better um, for themselves, for their own healthcare, Absolutely. you know, so we can avoid costs and those kind of things and heartbreak and all that. And so, but there, before now, I've not really had the ability to see like what our effect is on um, 
the like the costs for mm-hmm. people. And so we pay for this uh, company now that looks at the 12 month spend. And so when we, and it's 12 months after discharge from home health. So if you're looking at how do you define in a numerical way, how do you define how effective you are at putting in longer term systems that are effective for patients? It would be that number, right? So the fewer dollars spent means fewer hospitalizations, fewer surgeries, those kind of things. And so for Nexus Home Healthcare, we are roughly 33 to 34% lower than for the for the industry average for uh, DFW in the state of Texas. That is amazing. And it's because we do look at, it's just, you know, I used to work in research. And so we just look at a lot of things with a little bit more specificity than we were trained to do in schools. And so it translates really, really well to the senior um, care population. Well, I know this fall we're doing, you're going to do some teaching um, yeah. at a big church in Dallas. Yes. But um, if there's a community um, that wants to have your classes, how can they reach out to Same you thing. That? So I teach this in, in several of the independent living communities. I will, I will say this, for assisted living, it's a little bit different because the class is it's really geared towards more of an independent living. They can have some assisted device. They can still be using a walker. They can still be using a cane, but the level of function that you need for some of the exercises is is a little more advanced than assisted living would probably for, for the average assisted living resident. Um, so for independent livings, for sure, we do, we do them in several of them that last about seven weeks. I should say. That's awesome. So it's about an hour long class. We do it for seven weeks. It's a widely attended class. And is there a cost? No cost. I don't charge anything for it. We started doing it. Honestly, we, we did it because I, you know, I was working in a bunch of these independent living communities and you know, there's unlike assisted living, there's no nurse there. There's no like no. wellness director, none of that kind of stuff. And I'm like, you know, we see all these falls, we see all these other issues. Let's start doing something to help educate the seniors that are here. And so that's why we started offering this class. And it's just become, you know, it's, it's become a great thing for me because it's, you know, it, it, it gets our name out there more, but it's also been wonderful for the family members too, because now they've got someone to come to mm-hmm. if they have any issues and the seniors, I got, I have repeats, um, uh, attendees and they every time you know when the seventh class and the graduation class comes around every time like when are you going to do this again oh, so that's awesome. it's a, it's a fun class to People teach yeah love education yeah you know the, the older we get we just you know they just want to stay healthy that's right and stay independent and we and cut up and we make jokes and you know it's it's a, it's a it's a really fun class though i really enjoy teaching that that's great yeah, so thank you for asking this has been great yeah. i've loved learning about preventing falls and Nobody wants to fall. No. And we want to stay safe. We want you to stay safe. So if you need a wonderful home health, I highly recommend Nexus. They do a great job. Easy to talk to. I've called and you all have been out within 24 hours and that's been fantastic. Thank you so for that. thank you for that. What is your phone number, Brian? My personal cell phone number is 321-271-4052. Um, and our office number is 469-317-3017. But you can you can call or you can text or email. Um, if you guys, if there's a senior living community out there that wants us to teach these classes and them, if there's a family that's concerned about a, a fall for a loved one, we're happy to consult with you on that one and kind of see what specifics in that in- environment uh, we need to be addressing. What counties are you um, in? Uh, Dallas, Denton, and Collin. Okay, in Rockwall. Great. Yeah. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, it was great. That. It's been yeah. a great show and just stay healthy and we'll see you next time. Don't fall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>